Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to this special episode of Freedom Books, Flowers and the Moon, the podcast brought to you by the Times Literary Supplement. I'm Michael Keynes, and the special quality of the following conversation will be entirely supplied by my special guest today, Peter Brook, a theatre director who says in his new book, Tip of the Tongue, I never believe in compliments. So I hope we can agree that it is sheer fact with not a grain of false compliment in it to say that Peter Brook is one of the outstanding theatre makers of our time. His work ranges from Titus Andronicus with Laurence Olivier in 1955 to Mara Saad with Glenda Jackson in 1964 to a white-boxed circus extravaganza of A Midsummer Night's Dream at Stratford-upon-Avon in 1970. And that's just on this side of the channel. Peter's new book, Tip of the Tongue, Reflections on Language and Meaning, draws on a lifetime of bold international work on stage, both in Paris at the Booth de Nord and on tour around the world as well as on screen. As he wrote in that influential book, The Empty Space, which is just coming up for its 50th anniversary, the slate in the theatre is always being wiped clean. It's the impermanence of theatre that marks it out from the other arts. Shows may work in one town on one continent and fail completely when they go elsewhere. And the first day of rehearsal, The Empty Space suggests, is always to a degree a case of the blind leading the blind. Peter, thank you very much indeed for coming in. Normally, when interviewers give an introductory bit of rigmarole, they talk up their interviewees' successes. I wonder if it isn't, though, in this book, failure and mistakes and errors of judgment that are actually of greater interest to you. And when I say that, I mean that in the tip of the tongue, you write about things like the group who built a theatre in the wake of the upheavals in Paris of 1968 and what happens afterwards to them. And you also write about your own revelatory near miss at the Royal Opera House in London. What happened there? And how do you learn from things that actually go wrong in the theatre? I think that you must look at it very simply. When you start on anything, only a fool will say in advance, I know that this is going to be a hit. I know that this is going to work out marvellously. And I think it's the same for everything. Every scientist would agree with this. You don't start knowing that you're going to reach the point that you aim for. So what you do is very simple. There's a simple working method. You try, I think I write in the book, trial and error. 
and through trial and error, gradually, if you really go on and you produce with all your resources and all the resources of the people you work with a whole lot of material, then gradually what's unnecessary falls away. And Gordon Craig gave this great answer when he was asked, what is your working method? And he said very simply, elimination. Elimination. And elimination. And here we are. I'm having to answer the best I can any question you put for me, but I know quite well that if this was given to me afterwards and written, I would cut myself two-thirds of it. So that's where one has to say that there is something very subtle that can come through if we just for a moment try the best we can and then quietly let be. And then that's what the whole part of the book where I talk about letting things happen. When I talk about the formless hunch, I'd had to have gone through all the impossibilities. I had this very early on in my career when people said to me, if you're a director, a young director, you must prepare. So I took this seriously and I sat in front of a model and I moved the little figures right and left and then I made little notes on the script. Take two steps here, right, stop, look across and I developed a whole crowd scene that way with all sorts of things, music, indications. Had a great ball doing this but then I came into rehearsal and just saw quite simply that none of it was any good. And I think all one needs is to be able to say to oneself, it's no good. And at that moment, things fall away. And that's what the formless hunch is about. The moment you have to work with forms, if there wasn't a form, if we hadn't a table here, I hadn't a glass of water, you haven't got a microphone, mere microphone, we couldn't be doing this. But they are not the cause of whatever good may come out of anything we say to one another. That will happen, and that's why I say the formless hunch. People get obsessed with the form, and the form is just a starting point. It's something we need. In the way I write in the book a lot about that, we need words, but words are just a form, and gradually you can find that the word is either a dead piece of useless bone, or it is vibrating because within the word there is more and more, and that's what I wrote all about Shakespeare, it's all about that. But within his words, if you come knowing what they're about, if you come and you've studied the, all the professors and you've read all the footnotes, you are clogged and neither you nor the actors can go beyond a certain point. But if you say, yes, you have to prepare, and now when you come to it, you have to trust the true magic of intuition. And the intuition only comes if you've prepared the ground and if you then have the simple goodwill to stop taking yourself so seriously. And that's why working with a company is so important. Everybody at first comes with fears and egos 
And that's natural. That is human life. But the rehearsal process brings you to something which eventually you need some spectators for the process to be completed. And then something more than you could have ever hoped for happens. There is a very striking image in the book of the, the skyscraper. Yeah. And I think what you're saying there touches on that image, doesn't it? In the idea of Shakespeare as being, in a way, the ultimate theatrical, poetic mm. skyscraper in the language. Exactly, but in, in a skyscraper, you can't deny any of the levels. Mm-hmm. You go into it, you know that there has to be a basement. There has to be a rough, you know, an engine room, a boiler room. I mean, there has to be that basement, which is dark, smelly, and that Shakespeare brings into all of his plays. There is that seamy level, which is where you feel the grit and also the humour of more than everyday life, of what really is the dirty bottom of all our lives. And then you go up each floor, and each floor is taking you somewhere farther, and each floor has its possibilities. And there's no end. You can say, oh, if I've got to the third floor and there are all these good possibilities, that's good enough. Mm-hmm. Or you can say, no, the sense of a skyscraper is, can we get to the top? And then, as in the history of most skyscrapers, you go up and up, and then there comes a point when the lift breaks down, and you go out, and you see if you want to get the top, it's like at the Eiffel Tower, you have to take the steps. And you go on, and that takes more and more effort, and then suddenly you're rewarded by coming out into something that you never suspected. For the first time you're there with the brilliant light, the light that's above all the smog and the smoke and the dirt, and you're out there and you've got the sky and the sun above you, and you look down, and from very high up, you see the reality that's part of the life that you've left and that you're coming back to, which is this ant heap buzzing and murmuring down there. And all of that is in Shakespeare, but while it takes me all this time to talk about it, in Shakespeare, within two lines, he can have taken you to the highest point of, with the simplest words like, to be or not to be. And then wham brings you down with a dirty, sexy joke. That's, <laughs> and that's all part of the skyscraper. And you're back in the basement. And you're back in the basement. That's, I, I think, another thing. I mean, we, we, we can't conjure a second Shakespeare, can we? But there's something, mm-hmm. there's something wonderfully described in um, The Tip of the Tongue about, which actually, for me, it renews my... Faith in the in the possibilities of theatre, having seen far too much deadly theatre in recent years, um, but but you wonderfully described again. It's another sort of potential failure. You describe a critic writing about a production of yours. When we came into the theatre, we saw an empty space, and then in capital letters you put the word yawn. <laughs> and this poor person, whoever it is, has clearly completely missed the point. But within a couple of pages, so quite. Economically, in your own way, you make a kind of defence, really, of the idea of the empty theatre, uh, the empty space. You know, the idea that it's not—it's not necessarily to be taken quite as literally <laughs> as this critic did. 
There's a skyscraper in that word yawn. <laughs> yawn is really deadly. It's reminding you of deadliness. But at the same time, that sense that at every moment boredom is just lurking to come in. I wrote a book which in French was called, the title's better in French, Le Diable, c'est l'ennui. The devil is boredom. <laughs> and that is, the, for me, one of the great helps. But when I look at the empty stage myself, and then I see that nothing has yet come to life, and then we make a few efforts, and I look at it, and I'm bored. And it, through that boredom, it wakes up something. You know, Stanislavski, it's something that's deeply touched me, that Stanislavski's last rehearsals, people who went to it, longing to see the great master at work. And what did they see? They saw this very attentive old man sitting there. The students would come in with things that they'd prepared, scenes that they'd prepared, and all he would ever do would just shake his head and say, no, not that. It was never negative. It was such an impulse-giving thing of, no, they had to try again. And that's where boredom also is a good devil. It can be a good devil as well as a negative one, I think. Yes. The noonday devil of Ennui we might speak yes. of. Yes. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm very struck by something you, you wrote elsewhere, I think, about seeing Brecht. You, you, you saw oh, yes. his productions, didn't you? And oh, yes. They're, they're nothing what, what you expect if you'd only read his theoretical writings about theatre. Is that right? Yeah, because... He was a great theorist, a brilliant man, a very, very committed, excessively committed in politics. But at the same time, part of him had an incredible talent for what we call all the aspects of production, all the aspects of it. So when he did a production, it was no longer 
what he was telling people to do and what his followers did, which is to try to use the theatre to express social and political ideas. It was to bring something brilliantly, warmly, glowingly to life through images, through things like Mother Courage, which are almost mythical, and at the same time with images which demanded the best of the German theatre of his time. So he had all the, after English, polite West End actors to see those German actors where you really felt the soil of the country that they came to. So that there were massive bodies which didn't mean to search for you know, physical expression. Mm -hmm. They had the great presence that came really from the country. And they had really wonderfully developed voices, great intelligence, and not an intelligence that was being used as Brecht theoretically suggested in a dialectical, analytical way. They could just enter into a part. And the actors he had, the designers he had, the music, these were all, when he came to London, for the London theatre, it was a revelation because there was this appreciation of the arts of the theatre. And suddenly, here beyond this great German theoretician, here suddenly was the most splendid expression of pure theatre. There is something that appeals to you, I think, in the acting of somebody who has a cameo in Tip of the Tongue, Paul Schofield, oh. somebody whose, whose gift was for a kind of absolute practical, in-the-moment kind of, kind of acting. In the moment. I think that that is the essence in the moment. That is where theatre takes place. That's why it's so concentrated. You can take an entire life. So many plays do this. I mean, in Shakespeare's history, he does a whole cycle of history, but into his famous two-hours traffic of this stage, he can bring together what in everyday life is 20, 30 two centuries, or in one person's life is 70, 80 years, and all of that you can feel and experience vividly and intensely because there is this concentrating instrument called the stage which enables you to enter into it and you feel it within an hour and a half, two hours. That's why the present is what it's all about. Theatre doesn't exist. People have tried to. I've known so many university papers, which is natural for students, but they have to write for their thesis a description of plays. And I've even read things written about my productions. I read something about King Lear. I was amazed. Here was a young student who couldn't have seen something 50 years ago, but he was writing from what he had read from other people and had seen in the college library, mm -hmm. even clippings from the newspapers, and from that he was writing and actually writing critically. And he said, but that scene wasn't as good as... <laughs> <laughs> and here you come to the two sides of the whole theatre, the immediateness of it. That's why, I mean, I went through the different phases of theatre in the empty space, but in the end came to the only theatre that I know that is has 
a reality, which is the immediate theatre. I, I love what you say in, in that book about the, the, the rough theatre. It seems mm. you've had so many experiences of doing that, just mm. to shake things up, to see what's going to yeah, happen. It's, it's very honest, it's very good. Uh, but it also is a way in which you are not afraid to perhaps fail. I mean, there's something in the, in the mm. threads of time about being in LA and trying to get people just to turn up to a performance, but they're all in their cars. <laughs> yeah. So even techniques. Mm. As, as what you say about Breck reminds me, you know, that you, you yourself had to adapt and learn to many different skills in the theatre, yeah, it seems. Of course. You just learn what you, what you need to yes. learn. Uh, I mean that applies. You learn all the way. You learn all exactly. You're a learner. You can't you can't stop and then give up on it. No, because what you've learned belongs again already to yesterday. Exactly. I mean, you you wrote about US, didn't you? And how the production in a way the perfect run would have been a night. Yeah. Because things date. I'm conscious that we we are talking the day after um, um, the death of Peter Hall. And that brings to mind all that work, I mean, to put it no more strongly than this, all, all that work that really changed the way Shakespeare's done in this country. Mm. Mm. Um, and also, that I think I've read somewhere, so again, I'm acting just like that student you've just described, <laughs> but I read, I, read, I read somewhere, and you, so you have to tell me if this is wrong, that really when, when you joined the Royal Shakespeare Company, it was on the condition that he gave you money for... For actual research, for experimenting time, is that no, is that no? That's, no not, that's not how it happened. No, no, no. I came into it was a, a, a great man who today should be honoured on the highest level, that's Sir true. Barry Jackson, and it was Sir Barry Jackson who I was doing my first work in Birmingham with Paul Schofield, and yeah. one day he said to me over lunch in the Station Hotel, <laughs> "I've just been appointed." director of the Royal Shakespeare Theatre, would you like to come with me where I'm going to take my car and go over and look at it? And this fine, elegant, old-fashioned Birmingham businessman, who was a man of extraordinary, polite, courteous purity Mm -hmm. and of intuition, came and looked at this quietly. We went through the different departments and he just said, it's quite clear we must change all this. And then he just said these words that changed everything, led into the Peter Hall era and everything that I've known there. At this moment, the Shakespeare Festival is reviving old productions. There's a repertory of, and they have just six days to re-rehearse from last year six productions Nothing must be changed. All the actors, the comics do the same business, but they just have to re-rehearse to get back into the into the machine. And with that, and no, hardly ever a new production. And he said, "This is we must have at least four, five weeks for each production. So we must construct the season differently. We can't open everything in one week, which is what they used to." must be spaced out week after week, month after month, and it's so gradually a festival through the summer with events going right through to the end. All that came from Sir Jerry Baxon, and it was that that Peter Hall then took over, and it was into that that I went in, still in Sir Barry's day, mm-hmm. did my very first production, which was Love's Labour's Lost. 
Then I did Love Thy Both Lost. I did Romeo and Juliet, I think Measure for Measure. Peter Hall came and he invited me to join him in the with a marvellous colleague, Michel Saint-Denis, very fine French director, to be a little trio running this theatre, and he asked me, would, very generously, typically him, would I join him? And I said, yes, on one condition, that I can also start a little experimental group, paid for by the theatre, facilities given by the theatre, but which is not under the obligation to give any results whatsoever. It is research. We see that without research there can't be creation that the word creation, which is very pretentious, and the word research is pretty pretentious, but one depends as the other as an endless in-and-out flow. And he said, yes, of course. And that's led bit by bit to the Marassas and then eventually all that we did after. I see. So we could say, I mean, we must, we must stop in a moment, but yeah. I, we are, I think we're seeing that... <laughs> against the kind of rude mechanical approach the theatre entirely and the idea of having time and space for research as you say without being obliged to produce something at the end of it seems invaluable without without methods and without theories (laughs) well I I think we can all agree that's a very promising way to produce beautiful theatre Peter thank you very much for joining us thank you yes sir Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.